Well, it, uh, it certainly looks good to see people greeting one another again. I want to welcome you this morning. If you're watching online, I want to say hello. Now, I, I know that um, <clears throat> most of you thought I was on vacation. You can be seated the last two weeks, but I was actually putting in my time. I had some time I had to make up out at Riverhead. So I asked them if they would let me, let me out just for the day. So I could come and share a message. So if you're watching from Riverhead, welcome. I do have my uniform on. They told me I had to wear it. So good, good. So, well, imagine this morning if I was held in prison in a cell for all the wrongdoings. And then along comes Jesus Christ, fights for my freedom, pays for my mistakes, takes the punishment on himself and opens the cell door of captivity to sin. And he says to me, you're free. Free to live a different way. Free from sin and the guilt and shame that goes along with it. Free to become all that God has purposed and planned for you to be. I could take off the prison garb and put on new garments garments of righteousness. Imagine if I responded, praise God, thank you, Jesus, but I never leave. I never change my garments. I never get dressed for new life. I never actually walk outside my cell. That cell, these clothes, it's the world I know that I've lived in for so long. It's the bars through which I see myself and I see the world. It's the behaviors that I've lived with over in repetitive years. It's a sin I'm caught up in. The cell has perhaps defined me, my thoughts, my beliefs, the state of my heart. It runs deep. But I'd be crazy to stay in the cell. And Paul in his passage today is saying to us, take off the prison gear and dress yourself for new life. Now it takes partnership. You and I have to make a decision to do our part. And it's a choice that we make. We make that choice to bring our lives into balance with what Christ has done. It's not about striving to measure up. It's about Christ doing it all. And he says, and Paul says in the passage that we're going to look at today, now he says, walk in what I've accomplished for you. Enter into the victory of gospel life. And Jesus says, don't live a life of captivity to sinful ways that have that I've been paid for already. The cell door is unlocked. You're free to go to live in a new life I've prepared for you. And so what we need to do this morning is we need to take off the prison garb. I'm gonna ask my trusty assistant to just give me a little bit of help here. Because I can't get to, I tried it at home, it looks bad when I'm trying to do it myself. Thank you, sir, I got it. I got it from here, Dom, thank you. Give me a hand this morning, yeah, yeah. Everybody's gotta have some help here. And so, 
We spent the last number of weeks basking in the goodness and the power of the gospel found in Ephesians chapter one through three. I'm tangled up here, I'll be all right. <laughs> Does it, hey, listen, it doesn't want to come off easily. <laughs> Pastor Tony's done an excellent job and chapters one through three are reminding us of our position and what Christ has done for us. He's talked about we're elected, we're chosen, we're predestined, we're heirs, saved, redeemed, and reconciled. And he says that we're part of the family of God. I hope you recognize this morning that you're part of this very large family, the family of God. And then we stepped into chapter four, and chapter four was kind of a turning point in, in the book of Ephesians, because chapter four takes us from all that we've learned in who we are in our position in Christ in chapters one through three, the theology and the knowledge of all of that. And now Paul begins to say, balance it out by the way that you live. The truth and the practical lifestyle that I've called you. As a matter of fact, in verse one of chapter four, it says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which I've called you. Every one of us has a call upon their lives and we're to walk in that calling. There's a shift of gears in this passage that we're gonna look at today. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. I'm gonna read it in entirety and then we'll kinda of take it apart a little bit. I've titled my message, Put on the New Self. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of heart, they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I wanna ask you this morning have you met your doppelganger? That's the person that looks like you. Scientists tell us that there's at least six people in the world that look just like you. Now that may scare you, I don't know. <laughs> I had a situation, actually you can go on a website, it's called uh, uh, twinstrangers.net if you wanna find, I don't know how you, I guess you put your picture up and they find somebody that looks like you. All right, but I had a situation that uh, I was actually uh, in a situation that somebody said I looked like somebody else. So I, I'm in Mather Hospital a few years ago in the emergency room and I'm having a heart attack. Now, the doctor comes in and says, you're having a heart attack. You could have blew me over with a feather. I was running every day. I was in great shape. There was no reason for this to be happening. All right? So then the attending nurse comes in and she says, oh, you look like the guy on The Sopranos. 
And I couldn't help myself. I mean, you mean the guy that just died of a heart attack? <laughs> See, you got to find humor in whatever situation you're in. In Ephesians, Paul calls the church, calls us the body of Christ. You and I make up the body of Christ. So who do we look like? There are two options here. Do we look like the world or do we look different? Do we look like Jesus? If we look like the world, we'll look and act like non-believers. We'll see that we see around us every day. We'll talk like them, we'll think like them, and we'll value the things that they value. We'll mirror their lives, or do we talk and think and value the things that Christ values? If our doppelganger is Christ, we're becoming more like him over time in our thoughts, in our actions. And Paul gives us a playbook in this passage of Scripture how God's grace should change our lives. And he does this partially by contrasting us with how non-believers think and how they behave. In verse 17, it's pretty interesting because Paul starts to get specific on what that looks like to walk in the fullness of Christ and all he has accomplished. And so Paul tells us to be out with the old. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the fertility of their minds. And Paul goes into this description of what the world looks like. And I'm sure that as I read through this, you could probably think of some people that you know that fall right into this category. But I also believe that Paul's not only pointing out what the world looks like, but he's saying to us, don't look that way either. Verse 18 says, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So he kicks this off with a warning. He says, do not walk or don't be like or no longer walk in the way of the world. And he points a pretty dark picture in those, in those verses. He says they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from God. There's ignorance here, not intellectually, but spiritually. And it's because they've hardened their hearts. They're callous. They've given themselves over to all of ungodly um, desires. And it's, it's a pretty graphic and painful description of where people can be at. We know that sin is destructive. Sin destroys relationships. It drives us in the direction of greed and lust and murder and adultery and slanderous words, theft, pride that puffs us up and puts others down. It's a root of oppression and injustice, violence and hatred. Who would want any kind of sin ruling and guarding, guiding our lives in that way. And I'm pretty sure all of us could think of sinful behaviors from the past or in our own lives right now that is, or is creating a path of damage in its wake. We're to look at how we used to once live. We're to look at, it's really important that we remember who we are before Christ rescued us and brought us from death into life. 
And Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, of where we were at before Christ. And it says, And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's where you and I came from. That's where we were at before Christ. And Christ is calling us to live a different way. And in Christ, we have the freedom to walk in that way. And the Christian life requires a decisive break from the past. Unbelievers' minds are darkened. They're blind to the truth. Their worldview is wrong. We could find this as we read through this, and if we kind of related to it a little bit, a little bit offensive. But why do they think this way? And Paul gives two good reasons in verse 18. He says, they're ignorant. They don't know the truth of the scriptures, or they don't want to or refuse to acknowledge who God is. They refuse to yield and obey the living God. And we see that the rejection of Christ has a mental and uh, rational component. And Paul warns that the rejection of God leads to ignorance and a diminishing of understanding. I believe the greatest battleground that we deal with in our lives is in our mind and in our hearts. And it says they're ignorant because they've hardened their hearts. The unbelievers willfully harden their own hearts. I'm sure you met people like that. Oh, they're so hard. They got a heart of stone. We got to be careful that we don't let that hardness come into our lives. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And in this passage, it talks about a transformation that needs to take place in our lives. There's a lot of old ways of thinking we carry that need to be brought into balance with the truth of God's work and his word. You ever noticed, well, I'll just speak for myself. I've noticed that the flesh is always trying to come to the surface, you know? Maybe old ways that you dealt with stuff and old ways that you thought about stuff and old ways that you related to certain situations. They, it's, it just keeps on trying to rise up. There's ways of thinking that need to be surrendered, repented of, and dealt with by the cross of Christ. Now, it's hard to walk in a certain way unless you first believe in your mind that it's the best thing for you. And every day we have thousands of thoughts, emotions, urges, memories, and feelings that can fluctuate. And transformation starts on the inside, in the depths of our heart, where it begins to shape our thoughts, our beliefs, 
changes our character, our hopes, and our desires. See, God always works from the inside out. Now, sometimes when we're going through things, we try to change ourselves on the outside. If I can just stop doing that, if I can just stop saying it, if I can just stop going there. Before I actually came to a real full-on relationship with Christ, that's, what I, that's where I was at. I knew I was going in the wrong direction. I knew I had to make some changes. So I said, you know what? I'm going to stop going where I used to go. I'm going to stop doing what I used to do. I'm going to stop hanging out with the people I hung out with. And I was doing really good for about two weeks. <laughs> See, because what happened is I was trying to change everything about me on the outside. But there was no transformation that took place on the inside. And so it reached a point where I couldn't keep it up. And finally, when I came to Christ, and he still is changing my life, I'm still in transformation. Be patient with me. I'm not there. And neither are you. It's a process that happens. And the enemy loves to get into our thought life with all kinds of sneaky little lies. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And when I begin to think in the wrong way, when I begin, what I have to do is I have to grab that thought and say, wait a minute, that's not God's way. That's not godly. I got to pull that thought in. And I got to replace that thought with the truth of God's word. So the idea is that we take thoughts captive, not allowing them to dominate our minds. And then our behaviors change over time. And because what Christ has done, because of the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, our thinking can change. Our understanding can change, and the condition of our heart can change. Verse 19 says they become callous, they have, been given, have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And we know that habitual sin deadens the conscience. The untamed pursuit of sexual pleasures leads to consuming lust that will never satisfy the hardening of the heart and the callousness is a result of sin and leads to further and increasing outrageous degrees of sin. You, you notice sometimes that like something starts over here and it's like little and we don't deal with it. And then we find ourselves over here and now we got a big problem. I always say and use this analogy. It's like today's a good beach day. If you've got nothing else to do, go to the beach. All right? And so you go to the beach, you put your towel down and whatever else you bring with you, and you decide you're going to go in the water. So you go down to the water and you go in. It's all, oh, it's refreshing. Yeah, yeah, watch this, sharks. Okay, I know. Okay, but it's refreshing. And if you stay in long enough and you're having a good time and you're just relaxing and, you know, you got, you're in that place where the waves aren't, like, knocking you over and crashing you down and, and you just... Just floating out there, just enjoying the day. After a while, you're going to find yourself that you've actually drifted 
the current has taken you to a different place. You didn't even notice it. It was subtle. And so you decide, okay, I'm done. I'm going to get out of water. And you're like, where's my towel? How do you nip down here? And that's what happens sometimes with sin. It gradually, it's like that. It's like, you know, it, it just keeps drawing us away. In verse 20, there's, well, let me say this. Callousness is a loss of sensitivity to right and wrong. And we got to make sure that we don't become callous. And then we find a pivotal moment in verse 20 that occurs in this passage. And it says, but that's not the way you learned Christ. Learned Christ. Not learned about him. You've learned Christ. To learn Christ is to know Christ. This all happens through relationship with Christ. Not just knowing about him, but actually knowing him. And the more time we spend in his presence, investing in that relationship with him, the more we understand how he thinks, how he responds in a situation, and we begin to respond the way that he would. A number of years ago, my wife and I were running a group home in Queens Village. We were only married. We were married under two years. I wouldn't recommend this for newlyweds. So here we are in this group home setting, 24-7. We got six to eight totally unruly young men that have been placed there by the courts. And they're great manipulators. They know how to play the system, and they'll try to play you. And so what they used to do sometimes is they would go to my wife and say, hey, can I do this or can I go there? And she'd tell them no because she knew it wasn't good for them. And then they'd come to me separately and ask me the same question. Okay? And see if I had a different answer, now they can play us, right? And now her and I are going to get in an argument about it. But we knew each other well enough that I knew how she would answer a given situation. She knew how I would answer and it used to frustrate them to no end because they couldn't get a different answer. It was always the same. And it's the same thing with, with Christ. As we begin to know him and walk with him, we begin to respond to life and situations the way that he'd want us to. And in verse 21, it says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him uh, as the truth is in Christ. Now, we need to remember that Paul is addressing the church at Ephesus. It's a young church. A lot of new converts in that church. They've just come out of this uh, worldly lifestyle. Now they're entering into having a relationship with Jesus. So Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And Paul is addressing a church called Integrity today. And Paul's explaining to them and explaining to us, to us how God's grace should change our lives in a real and tangible way. Christians don't walk like, like unbelievers. Christians don't become fertile. That's pointless. They have no reason for doing the things that they do in their thinking. They do not become obsessed with the pursuits and promises of this world. Would be able to be single-minded, focused on the glory of the gospel. Christians don't become darkened in our understanding. 
We do not exchange the counterfeit life offered by the world for the abundant joy in eternal life that Christ Jesus gives us. Christians, do not allow your hearts to become calloused and hardened. Christians, do not sacrifice your lives in pursuit of sensuality and impurity. And as Christians, we're supposed to look and think differently. I hope that um, over the years of maybe walking with Christ, you've had those, those few moments where you're around somebody and maybe you're around them in a consistent way and you really haven't shared with them the gospel, you really haven't talked about God at all, and they'll say to you, man, there's something different about you. I don't know what it is. I've hoped we had those moments. What a great opportunity to share the Lord because you can say, you know, I used to be like this and now I'm striving to be like this and it's because, and you give them the story. I'm sure some of you are familiar with a company called IBM. Did you know that for a long time, their slogan was think? That's why they called their laptops think pads. They wanted to take us to take everything into consideration. So you know what Apple did in the late 90s to differentiate themselves from IBM? They came up with a slogan, think differently. This slogan actually helped turn Apple into the high success that it is today. Apple wanted to stand out against its competitor, not blend in. And as Christians, we have to stand out against those who don't follow Christ. We have to think and act differently than them. So how do we do this? What we need to do is trade up. We exchange who we were for all he calls us to be. And in verses 20 through to 24, it says, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So just as we would remove those jail clothes and step out of that cell, we're to put off the old. We're to remove those prison clothes and put on the new, the new self. And like I said, they're garments of righteousness. Do we deserve those? Absolutely not. Are we worthy of them? No. Did it cost us anything to get them? No. Jesus says, you're righteous because of who I am. So we're told in verse 23 that we're to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That transformation has to take place. We've got to allow God to work in our lives to transform our thinking. In verse 24, it says, put on the new self. I take the old self off and I put the new self on. I love how the message really phrases verse 24, and this is what it says. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as Christ accurately produces his character in you. I want to read that again because this is so powerful and profound. And then take on an entirely new way of life, 
a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as, Christ, as God accurately re reproduces his character in you. That's the goal. That's a desire. That's what God wants to do. It's a working that he can do, he has and will do, if we're willing to surrender and yield to him. I close with a little prayer that kind of helps us. Maybe there's some stuff in our lives that we know that we just, we've carried them over, kind of residual effects of our old lifestyle. I call them repent, renounce, and replace. I repent of believing a lie. I renounce any stronghold that that lie has had in my life. And I replace, replace the lie with the truth of God's word. Pastor Tony's gonna continue this passage next week and I think he's probably gonna, I just touched on this in the end because I just felt like I needed to, but he's probably gonna pick up here. But as you continue throughout chapter four, it really begins to define very distinctively some things that we need to get out of our lives. Let's be all that God's called us to be. Let's let the Holy Spirit work in our lives and change us. Let God mold us and shape us and become the people that he wants us to be so we can make a difference in the world that we live in, so we can honor God and glorify him. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you this morning for the opportunity to share your word. Thank you for the very clear direction and the call that you have upon us to take off the old and put on the new. And God, I pray you'd help us become the people that you want us to be. Lord, I pray that we'd allow you to shape us and mold us into your image. And God, that we would stand out and be an example to those around us. Father, empower us by your spirit to be all that you've called us to be. And I pray that you'd bless your people today. Strengthen us, God, as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.